Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask if you would open your copy of Scripture to Jeremiah chapter 7. I'm going to read these verses in just a moment. Uh, How many of you enjoy a good walk? Uh, I, I like to run personally rather than just walk, but when my family and I would get away and we'll take a walk on the beach or occasionally we'll take a hike up to uh, a set of mountains, we've been to Chimney Rock, and a walk can give you a lot of insights into a location. In fact, if you walk in the mountains and you pay attention, you can see some things that are just absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. Same thing would be true if you're walking and paying attention at the beach and you can see the seashells and you can see uh, the way that God designed the world. Well, a walk will give us insights into a group of people as well. Take a walk into downtown Wilkesboro, there are some things you're going to see, or walk into downtown North Wilkesboro, or walk into your neighborhood. And if you take a walk and you pay attention while you're on that walk, you'll get some insights into the people that live there and the people that work there into the situations and circumstances that are around you. What I'd like to invite you to do with me in this worship service is to take a walk with me back into Jeremiah's day, and he's going to start his sermon in a place, and then he's going to move to another place, and he's going to move to a third place, and these places are going to give us insights into what the people of God, Jeremiah's people of God, were doing, how they were living, how they were acting, and they're going to give us some insights into some things we might discover if we take a walk and look in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own situations. We're going to look at places that provide insights into a people. We're going to begin with where Jeremiah began. He began in the temple. Jeremiah chapter 7 begins this way. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. So very clearly, God told Jeremiah, I want you to go to the temple And I want you to preach a sermon to the people that are there in the temple. A twin passage of Scripture, if you'd like to read these in conjunction, would be Jeremiah chapter 26. It appears like the narrative portion of what was going on in Jeremiah's life happened in chapter 26. Chapter 7 relates the sermon that he preached. Uh, Jeremiah 26 took place in the early reign of Jehoiakim. If you'll remember, Jeremiah was called to be a prophet during Josiah's reign. Josiah was the last good king of the people of Judah. He led the nation in a spiritual reform. Uh, And when he died, his son, Jehoahaz, took the the reins of the kingdom. Uh, He only lasted about three months. And then his second son, or Josiah's other son, uh, Jehoiakim, he became king, and he reigned for a little bit longer. But wickedness prevailed after Josiah. And so the setting is that God told Jeremiah to go preach a sermon in the temple where the people of God were worshiping during a time of spiritual turmoil. Their good king had died. They had false leaders and poor leaders in front of them. And Jeremiah is preaching to them in the place of the temple. What do we discover in the place of the temple? Well, we're going to call it the church because the equitable... Um, analogy for us would be the church. So we're going to take a walk in the church, and we're going to see that God expects repentance, not ritual. Notice what Jeremiah preached, beginning in verse 3. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. It's an invitation to repent. He says in verse 4, do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods in your own, to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, Make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name to dwell at first. See what I did to it because of the evil of my people Israel. And now because you have done these things, declares the Lord, when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. When I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place that I gave you and to your fathers as I did it to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen and all the offspring of Ephraim. We'll pick up in a minute. We're taking a walk through the church. We're taking a walk through the temple. As Jeremiah walked through the temple, as he stood there preaching a sermon, he preached a sermon of invitation. He said to God's people, God wants you to repent. God wants you to change your ways, change your behaviors, because here's what they were doing. They were relying on the fact that they had the temple, that they had the place where God's name was supposed to be, where God's presence was associated. They were believing that because they had the temple... God would never wipe them out. They looked at the northern tribes of Israel and said, well, they didn't have the temple. They, they worshipped idols, but they didn't have the temple. They didn't have a place where we worship God. They didn't have that. So they believed that because they were worshiping God in the temple, they were going to be just fine. In other words, they treated the temple more like a magical talisman than they did a place where God's name was and where God was worthy of worship. The picture is this, the people of Israel were tied to an event and a location and were not tied to a relationship with the living God. You can see that because of the way that they behaved. They were associating their outward religiosity with their worship and yet neglecting what God cared about, which is our hearts, which is what matters on the inside. See, they were, here's the the amazing thing about the people of Israel and the people of Judah in Jeremiah's day. If you had walked into the temple on a Saturday, on a Sabbath day, on a worship day, on a holy day, on a feast day, on a sacrifice day, do you know what you would have seen? You would have seen exactly what you were supposed to have seen from the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy and David's time. You would have seen the people of God in the temple bringing their offerings and bringing their sacrifices and bringing their incense and bringing their prayers and bringing their gifts. Everything was going on exactly as it had been going on for hundreds of years. The problem was their outward appearance of religiosity did not match their hearts and did not match their behaviors. See, the people of God were walking in the temple on a Saturday to bring their worship when they would go to their homes later in the week and they would oppress the poor. 
And they would reject the widow. And they wouldn't care for the fatherless. And they would commit adultery. And they would commit murder. And they would commit crimes. And they would act unjustly. And then they would walk into church like everything was A-OK. God, you're not going to destroy us because we're here at the temple. We're sacrificing. We're worshiping. And what God is saying through the prophet Jeremiah is, I see through your fake worship, and I see right into your hearts, and I know exactly who you are, and I know exactly what's going on in your lives, and I won't tolerate it any longer. The people of Jeremiah's day had even made their worship into a business. Verse 11 reads this, uh, Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Jesus would reference this when he was talking, uh, uh, when he overturned the money changers' tables in the temple. My house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, he's quoting in Isaiah 56, Jesus is. And then he references this passage when he says, But you have made it a den of robbers. It was a place of business transaction rather than a place of worship. What was taking place is the people of God were. Uh, uh, traveling from far distances, and so they couldn't bring their sacrifices with them. So they would go to the temple with money, and they would buy a sacrifice, an animal to sacrifice. But the folks that were selling the animals to sacrifice were selling it at, at, at a premium rate. They were making money off of the worship. In other words, it was becoming a place of robbing God, and a place of business, and a place of uh, personal gain-seeking, rather than it was a place of worship. Man, take a walk and we see all the hearts and see all that was going on in the temple in Jeremiah's day. Sounds like God had a legitimate problem with the people of Israel because they were more concerned with their own actions and desires and pleasing themselves than they were with pleasing a holy God. Hey, well, you know, I, I wonder what would happen if we took a walk through the churches in Wilkes County and the churches in America today. If we take a walk and we look in the churches, we might... Well, might now not see as many people as we used to because of you know, spreading out and all of the things associated with the pandemic. But I'm going to tell you something. We have a beautiful building. God blessed us with a beautiful building. We ought to be thankful for that. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something. God cares far less about the beauty of the place that we worship than He does about the holiness of the hearts that worship Him in that place. Tell you something else, God cares far less about the way you sing a song than He cares about the way you treat somebody else in your daily activity. If you're going to walk out of a worship setting, whether it's in your home, if you're watching on a platform, or whether it's in the sanctuary, if you're going to walk out of that worship platform and you're going to treat somebody unjustly, or you're going to harbor racism and prejudice in your heart, or you're going to harbor ill will to somebody and not forgive them, or you're going to act in an immoral way, and you're going to worship on a Sunday, but you're going to go out and behave like the devil on a Monday through a Saturday, do you know what God does? God sees through your hypocrisy. And God expects repentance, not ritual. God is not impressed with our rituals. He's not impressed with the things that we bring to Him. He's not impressed or worried about whether we're singing a traditional hymn or whether we're singing a praise song with a praise team and a band. He's not impressed when we sing really perfectly or when we sing terribly like I do. He's not bothered by the tone of our voices when we sing. He's not bothered by, by those kind of things that bother some of us. You know what he is? He's looking through the outward religious expressions to see what's going on in our hearts. 
You know what ought to, ought to define us as followers of Jesus? An attitude of repentance. An attitude of acknowledgement that God is holy. Holier than we could ever imagine. And we bow before Him in an acknowledgement of that. Let me tell you something. If God sent a prophet through our churches and would take a walk through Wilkesboro Baptist Church, and not just through the outward expression of our worship, but if that prophet could look in our hearts, what would he discover? Would he, would he discover that we're more interested in the ritual expression of acting like we're worshiping God? Would he see that we have a heart that is tuned to him and focused on him? That's the first place, the church. What about the home? What would happen if, if we were able to walk through somebody's home life and experience? That's what happened with Jeremiah. Pick up with me in verse 16. This is a tragic verse, by the way. God speaking to Jeremiah says this, As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry of prayer for them. Do not intercede with me, for I will not hear you. Wow. God told Jeremiah not to pray for the people. Why? Because he knew that they weren't going to listen. It wasn't as if God doesn't want us to intercede. Thank heavens we can intercede for other people. Thank heavens God did not give me a direct plea to, to, or direct command not to pray for you as a congregation. In fact, before I entered the pulpit to preach this day, I have been praying for people to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And I've been praying for children and for teenagers, for adults. And I'm thankful God didn't look at me and say, stop praying for them because it won't do any good. But that's exactly what God said to Jeremiah because the people were hearing messages of truth and repentance, and they were rejecting them over and over again. Notice why. Do you not see what they're doing in the cities of Judah, verse 17, in the streets of Jerusalem? At first glance, by the way, this is a beautiful picture. Follow along. The children gather wood. The fathers kindle fire. And the women knead dough to make cakes. If you, if you could just pause for a second, you could imagine a commercial for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is a family-oriented picture. The children are out gathering wood. Their fathers are building a fire. And the mothers are kneading bread in the kitchens. It's like, oh, this is exactly what we want. We want to see a family that's working together. We want to see a family that is together honoring God. But that's not actually what's going on. I, I didn't finish the verse they're making cakes for the queen of heaven. That's an idol. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Verse 19, Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord, is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place upon man and beast, upon trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. God continues in verse 21, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Add to your burnt offerings your sacrifices, and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers to command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I'll be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but they stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You'll call to them, but they will not answer to you. You shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It's cut off from their lips. 
Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. In the church, we see that God expects repentance, not ritual. In the home or in the family, we see that God invites obedience and not idolatry. What the homes were looking like in the days of Jeremiah, he would walk around and he would see the families gathering together, but they weren't gathering together in a unified purpose to worship God. They were gathering together in a unified purpose to worship the Queen of Heaven. It's a female deity uh, that was worshipped all throughout Babylon. The worship of this female deity was depraved, and one of the things that they did when they would worship this deity is they would need cakes of bread, and they would burn them to her. They would eat them and, and then burn them. And what God is saying to the people of Judah is if you walk through the homes, man, they're all together. It looks like everything's great, but it's not because they're false. They're worshiping the wrong God. And in a very sarcastic way, what God says in verse 21 is this, why don't you go... And burn your offerings to me. Bring a burnt offering. And a burnt offering was, the whole point of a burnt offering was that it was burnt. Everything was burnt up. And here's what God said to the people of Israel, the people of Judah. Go ahead, take your burnt offerings and why don't you go ahead and eat it? Uh, They weren't supposed to eat it, by the way. What God is saying to them is sarcasm, getting their attention, saying, hey, what you're doing doesn't matter. If you're going to go worship the Queen of Heaven on Monday, and then you're going to come on Saturday and worship me, your worship of me is pointless. Because when we have idols in our hearts, when we have things that take us away from the God who is and the God who is glorious and the God who reigns, here's what happens. The worship that we even think we bring to God that honors Him doesn't honor Him, doesn't glorify Him. God sees through the hypocrisy of what's going on. You say, well, pastor, that that sounds pretty creepy what they were doing way back in the day. I hope that's not going on today. You know what? Uh, it's been a while since I've walked through somebody's house here in Wilkes County. It's been a while since I've visited anybody. It's been a while since anybody visited me. This pandemic has kind of separated us, and uh, you know we, we're, we're sort of isolated. But I, I would imagine that if you and I got to walk through people's houses, if we got a sneak peek into what was going on in the houses of those that are church members of Wilkesboro Baptist Church or my house, we might see some things that would, uh, that would break God's heart. We may look like we're great worshipers on a Sunday, but do we have idols in our homes on Monday through Saturday? Are there things that take the place of God? Are, are there things that get in the way of us putting our attention on the God who is and the God who reigns? I'm not trying to get legalistic here. I'm not trying to jump through hoops and meddle too much. I'm just trying to observe. As I've watched Christianity in the West, we have limited our worship of God to when it's convenient to us and done all the other things that matter to us first. In some people's lives... Sports for their kids have become an idol because it's more important that they play baseball or play soccer or that they go dance than it is that they worship Jesus. For some people, it's uh, sports on television. Well, maybe not in the last four or five months, but it's something that they focus on that matters more than God. And if the preacher gets into the NFL football time on Sunday, then it's a problem. 
For some people, it's not sports. It doesn't have anything to do with sports. It has to do with the technology that's in their pockets or it's on their mantles or on their, 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 their screens that they're going to watch. I saw a statistic that said parents of children from 4 to 17, the average screen time for a child 4 to 17, you ready for this? 4.7 hours a day of screen time. Screen time. Now, I, I, now, today, I mean, my boys have to use screens for their remote learning. And they have to use it for other things. But I just got to thinking about that in my own life and in the lives of others. How much time are we putting them in front of things that are godless and that are all about driving our attention from the one true God rather than driving our attention to God? I'll tell you something, folks. If we took a walk through our homes, would we find idols? Would God find idols? Would God find things in our lives that are keeping us from Him? Would He see that what is the makeup of our own spiritual lives is really us trying to win God's attention by behavior on a Sunday rather than love God in all of our behavior during the week? There's one more place to travel to. This, this place is not uh, really an invitation it's a promise of judgment. This is the valley. It's not really a, an analogy that is fit for us, for our experience, but uh, we need to read through this section of Scripture, verse 30 of chapter 7. And this is God's promise of judgment. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they've built the high places of Topheth which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth, because there is no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. And I will silence the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem with the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness. And the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste. What's going on here in the valley of Hinnom, the valley of slaughter? Well, in the valley, God promises judgment. The valley of Hinnom is uh, on the south side of Jerusalem. It was a place that in the days of King Ahaz and King Manasseh, two previous kings in the, among the people of Israel, they set up high places there. They set up places to worship a god called Molech. And those two kings, Ahaz and Manasseh, and many hundreds of other parents and, and other folks from Israel, in order to worship Molech, they would take their children, their babies, their infants, and they would carry them out to those high places and they would burn them as a sacrifice to the god Molech. And that was their worship. That was the way that they honored this particular god. And here's what God is saying to the people of Israel through Jeremiah. Josiah tore down those high places, but his son Jehoiakim raised them back up. And the people of Israel were engaging again in that terrible and vile act of sacrificing their children in the valley of Topheth, the valley of Hinnom, which would become the valley of slaughter. And God said, I'm going to bring judgment upon you because you are doing things that are unalterably and terribly wicked. Can't imagine anyone that would do that. And yet we live in a nation where since 1973, 60 million 
babies have been aborted because of choice, because of desire. Say, well, well, that's out there. Pastor, that, that's not in here. That's not in our church. That's not in, it's not among Christians. 2014. 2014. 24% of young women who aborted their children identified themselves as Catholic. And 30% identified themselves as Protestant. More than half of those who had abortions in 2014 self-identified with faith. I'll tell you something, folks. We can expect the judgment of God because we are doing things that should not be done. We're allowing things to take place in our own lives, in our own communities, in our own arenas that should not be done. And the picture is that judgment is coming. God promises judgment. Why? Because we are... We as a people are idol worshipers. We as a people are hypocrites in our worship. We invest in ritual, not in repentance. And we don't obey, but we worship idols. And we allow terrible, evil things to take place in our midst. We can expect the judgment of God. In fact, that picture that Jeremiah promised there, that Jeremiah declared from the Lord, came true. The valley of Hinnom became a place that was known as a refuse pile. It became a place where dead bodies of criminals were burned. Dead animals were burned. It was known in the day of Jesus for a place of constant fires. In fact, you'll know it better if you read Mark chapter 10, where Jesus said that those who reject God are in danger of going to hellfire. And he used the word Gehenna, which is Greek for Valley of Hinnom. Say something, folks. The picture here is that hell is a place of permanent fire, of permanent burning of refuse, of permanent judgment, because the people of God, or the people who were supposed to be the people of God, had rejected God and they were going to face that terrible judgment one day. One commentator described this section of Jeremiah as graceless. This is one of the hardest sermons I think I've ever preached. I'm not going to do a deep dive into the doctrine of hell tonight, this morning, in our worship service. But I do want you to understand this. Every person who does not have a relationship with the God of the universe will spend eternity in a place of burning terror and separation from God and fire. John Calvin described it this way. He said, we ought especially to fix our thoughts upon this, how wretched it is to be cut off from the fellowship with God. As you're listening, I want you to to imagine for a moment that child, grandchild, a neighbor, a friend that's on your prayer list, that co-worker, that uncle, a nephew, that mom or that dad that does not have a relationship with God. The Bible promises judgment. And it's not going to be an easy judgment. It's not going to be light because God is far more holy than we could ever imagine. And His judgment is going to be painful. And His judgment is going to be eternal. And the only way that we can know we're not going to experience that judgment is to repent and turn to God like He asks the people of God to do in this passage of Scripture. He gives them an offer of repentance. Let me tell you something, folks. Child, teenager, adult... 
If you're listening to this sermon and you have not confessed your sins to Jesus and turned to Christ and asked Him for forgiveness, then what you can expect one day is judgment. Because you are sinful and you are deserving of God's wrath. What that means for us as Christians is that we bear the burden of sharing the good news, good news that can bring eternal life rather than eternal judgment. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Those of you that are listening, those of you that are, that are hearing me preach, you're, you're sitting here thinking, man, I'm so glad that I'm missing out. I know I'm a worship hypocrite, and I know there are times that I have idols in my life, but you know what? I'm so glad that when I was 8 or when I was 18 or when I was 24 or when I was 50, I came to a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, and I know I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm thankful that I can live in an attitude of repentance and I can be forgiven and I can be in a right relationship with God, even though I'm not perfect. I'm thankful that I can. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. As Christians, that ought to drive us to worship and humility and bow before God, knowing that even in our sinfulness, God offers us forgiveness. But here's what it ought to do for those of us that know people who are lost. It ought to drive us to our knees in prayer. It ought to drive us to their homes to bear witness of the good news of Jesus that they can have forgiveness. One of our church members recently has experienced a cancer diagnosis, and she just finished radiation treatments. And she was telling me how painful it was that her skin burned and peeled and scarred. Here was her testimony. She said, tell people how bad it hurts. Tell people how bad it feels to burn like this because I don't want them to burn forever and I don't want them to burn for eternity. Pray that those who don't know Jesus would receive salvation so that they don't have to spend eternity in a place like Hell, a place where burning happens forever and forever. If you're listening to me and you want to know how you can avoid the judgment that God promises, that God promises to every single human being on planet earth, then what you need to do is recognize that Jesus took your judgment for you. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago, not far from the valley of Hinnom, so that you wouldn't have to experience the hell that is described there. Jesus was your substitute. He paid for your sins so that your sins could be washed away. You can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve your salvation or your forgiveness. But I admit that I'm unrighteous before you and I can't do anything about it. Will you forgive me of my sins? I believe that you sent Jesus to be my Savior. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I want to receive new life. Will you help me to follow you? Will you help me to trust in you and believe in you? That prayer is not a magic prayer. It doesn't automatically mean that you're saved if you pray it. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're worried about spending eternity separated from God in judgment, you come to God with a humble prayer like that, God will receive you. He will forgive you. He will accept you. Because here's the invitation. While this passage may be graceless, if you look forward to the New Testament, there is an offer of grace If you're standing under the judgment of God, realize that Jesus came to take your judgment for you and you can have eternal life and you can escape eternal judgment if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I think I can echo heartily the very words and the very uh, expressions of all of you that are followers of Jesus listening to this sermon you would say, amen, thank God that he took my place. Thank God that I can experience eternal life and not eternal judgment. But if you can't echo that, if you can't say that, 
Would you trust in Jesus today? Let us know. If you're not sure how, send us an email, info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org, or 667-1271 is our church phone number. Give us a call. Send us an email. Let us know you want to know more about following Jesus. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to worship with us as we close. Respond. You need to trust Jesus. You pray during our invitation. If you'd like to come forward, you come tell me what's going on, and I'd be more than happy to invite you and explain to you how you can make Jesus your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you in the midst of this challenging text. And Lord, as we pray, we acknowledge that too often we are hypocrites in our worship. Too often we are idol worshipers rather than obedient servants of the living God, and we deserve judgment. Lord God, I'm thankful that you sent your son Jesus to take my place, to take our place. That we might experience forgiveness and new life and not judgment and eternal separation from you. Lord God, I pray that those who are watching, those who are listening, those who are here present, any that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to a faith relationship with you in this moment. Bring them to a place of confession and repentance. Bring them to a place where they will believe in you and receive the salvation that you so freely offer, that they may not have to face judgment. I pray for their salvation and their souls. I pray, Lord, that you would burden us as followers of Jesus with a willingness to share and a willingness to pray and a willingness to invite those who don't know Jesus to a relationship with Him. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.